was at work yesterday, and it's this one chick at my job who 100% of the things that come out of her mouth are from the internet. Oh, God. So before every statement, damn near, she says, I'm not going to lie. Bitch, don't lie then. Like, just say what you're saying. <laughs> I'm dead. I'm crying. Uh-huh. Like that, like, people don't laugh, and they say it, like, super stoically. I am dead. Yeah. What? I don't know. But see, I'm going to I'm gonna push back on you. I was thinking about this. I'm like, this dude hears one phrase and he's got the whole concept for an album. That's all That's yeah. all he needs. So okay. I know you love language and that I you know language. language evolves. I don't, but see, but see okay, I'm going to push back on your pushback. Yeah. This whole thing about language evolving, that has been used to validify some some invalid horseshit in my opinion so like take 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 literally uh-huh now literally means figurative mm-hmm. yeah so we don't have another word to replace literally though we still ought to use literally to be literally and figuratively and people are just like well language evolves it devolves it, it language sure. is devolving it's not getting like ev- the idea of evolution and this is another fucking misunderstanding that people have of fucking science and shit. People use evolve like evolution is essential. So evolution, evolution does make mistakes, um, mm-hmm. but it takes longer than the lifetime of anyone who can view it for evolution to correct those mistakes. Like evolution takes, can take millions billions of years like you don't get to you don't get to see it right but people use evolve generally in a superlative sense right right like if, the yeah, connotation is, is that, it's becoming better superior whatever right yeah but it's, it's language is it coming language isn't becoming better these tools are for you to Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My name is Dave Marr. I'm a comedian. I live in Chicago. Almost seven years ago, I was in a coma, and then I woke up. That's the short version. And now I've got questions about life, death, the afterlife, identity, memory, transformation, and I'm talking to my guests about those issues issues. You know, death's really an issue, you know? Actually, that is not far off from how I tend to think of these things, how I push toward them, thinking of them as as problems that need to be permanently solved. And that is actually a great transition into my interview with my guest this week. Uh, I'm trying to figure out if I should tell you the guest or talk about why it's a good transition. And at this point, I have ruined it being a good transition. But my guest this week is We on We, aka John Wallen. He is the first ever, like, full on return interview guest to the podcast. I heard about him through Angelbot Dawid, who I'd had on, who's a brilliant musician. She was a huge fan of John's. And then I started listening to John's music. And keeping up with it, he had COVID early on, started releasing an album every month on Bandcamp Fridays, and still does. And his last one, Forensic Architecture, was is really fantastic. And actually, the one right before that, Running in a Dream, is really fucking great, too. Very different albums. Kind of give you a taste of the diversity of the We on We experimental, but danceable, but sort of overwhelming bath of sound, uh, you know, that that spectrum, the we on we spectrum. Anyway, it would have been a good transition, that, that thing I mentioned earlier about trying to squeeze the juice of topics like death and transformation to, to finally come up with, you know, their solutions. 
that would have been a good transition because that is where we get to at the end of this. John and I talk about our uh, our Linus blankets, the things, sort of the quixotic tasks we've set for ourselves that are, you know, impossible to achieve, and yet that's why we go after them, and that's why they are endlessly renewable. It's a really good conversation. I really like talking to John. That's why I wanted to just catch up with him in this, you know, recorded podcast form. And it's a less structured conversation than you'll normally hear on This Is Your Afterlife. If you want to hear him respond to the usual prompts, you can go ahead and listen to his previous episode. It's called Worms Gotta Eat. Uh, it's I think it was at the end of 2020 that I that I published that. I'm not positive. Do not quote me on that. Stop quoting me on that. Why? Why? Every, everyone's listening to this podcast and trying to quote me on things like the dates that episodes came out. And I gotta say, I'm sick of it. Okay, I didn't. I didn't publish this podcast to be talking about the dates of the podcast. Okay, I published the con the podcast to have conversations like the one I have with with We on We here. What am I talking about? If you're interested and if you're following, chances are good you're going to like the rest of this episode. Okay, speaking of the sort of discursive nature of this conversation, there's a lot, a lot more of this conversation. We spoke for like, I think, like over three hours. I edited it down even for the full conversation on Patreon, but on Patreon, you'll have there's over two hours of of me and John talking and about a lot more than we are able to fit into the length of the current episode. So if you want that full conversation, if you want to hear the companion podcast, this is your after show. If you listen to this show and you think, hey, I like what Dave does. This is worth the price of a good coffee or a cheap meal a month. You can join my Patreon at the level of $5 or $15 a month. I think it's worth either of those prices. I'm glad you listen no matter what. You can go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr to find out more information. You can also check out We On Wee's music. Like I said, uh, the link to his band camp is in the show notes. You can also, if you don't have Scratch right now, Scratch, I, that's, I guess that's a word I use now. If you don't have the money, you can subscribe to the show. If you do have the money, you should subscribe to the show. You, uh, what am I doing? I'm having this like conversation with myself, and now I'm having a conversation about the conversation. You, you know what's happening. You're following. Uh, you can also review the show. These little things in these apps, man, it seems annoying. Man, it seems pointless. But I got to tell you, it makes a difference for people like me who are independent artists who are not backed by a big corporation or a big machine. I don't have a manager. I don't have, uh, I mean, I have a commercial agent, a, a TV agent. I don't have a touring agent, a podcast agent. You know, I'm not on a network. It's just me out here. So if you can review the show, if here's here, it promised me this. If you are taking a shit while listening to the show, review the show and just Give it five stars and say, I'm giving this five stars because this is an excellent podcast to take a shit to. Cool? Can you do that? And if all of that feels like too much, but you still like the show, just tell one friend about it. Now listen, I know I've, I've rambled on a little bit here, and honestly, I think that's okay. You know, that's, this is, this is a po- <laughs> this is a podcast, baby. This is my platform. I am now arguing with another voice in my head telling me it's not okay that this intro has gone on the length it has. Point being, I like to sometimes get real punchy with the intros, but I've been spending too much time on TikTok recently and scrolling that app, it's just like a constant fucking nerve grind of like, are you looking to grow your... Here's the thing with... I, I always thought that this was, and it's just so much. And so I want to just take a little bit of extra time to tell you 
about the flavor of my conversation with We on We and do it in a space where you're listening, where we can be together, where I can, as I'm speaking to you in what is the future for me, I can try to be present with recording this. And hopefully that makes you a little bit more present with listening to it, whatever you're doing. I'm grateful that you are listening. And now you'll listen to more than just me. You'll listen to me and we on we. I grab your whip and take it back to Chi-Town. When I'm in Chi-Town, I treat it like... What's your work, by the way? I work for a very dumb... Well, I work for a company. Yeah, dude, no shit. I'm a I'm a you you can put, I'm a computer technician. Cuz cuz the reason that I ask is cuz well, wait, how many uh, how, how often do you have to work? Are you like a are you like a 40, 40 hour hours. a week guy? Yeah, 40 hours. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cuz in the cuz with the new record, I read the I read the I read all the liner notes this time. Mm-hmm. Um it is yeah, and I saw I saw that the um Oh my god, why am I forgetting the phrase? Forensic architecture. Yeah. Someone said that at work. Was it a coworker or was it just some random That was a customer. Schmo. Okay. So it was a it was a a, a young woman <clears throat> and I was just working on her computer and I asked her like is she in school or what she does? <clears throat> and she um she was just talking about what she was studying. And I didn't know, she was like, it's called forensic architecture. And so I thought that that was the discipline she was studying, which I guess it could be. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. As soon as she said forensic architecture, I was like, what a great combination of words. I'm going to make an album. And this album I actually made in like two weeks. Um, because the first half of the month, I had a show and like I was sick. And I was only able to make it because I had um, I was on bereavement leave because my mother's sister passed. Um, and I wound up getting sick as shit while I was on bereavement leave. Yeah. But I just had a week. So I made it mostly like. I made it mostly in a week. Um, just based on that word. And I had like didn't have to go to work for like seven days. So I would just spend all, all day, every day trying to make that album. I'm sorry about your aunt. Um, it's 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 fraught. It's a sure. fraught, a fraught. We didn't have a good. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's been <clears throat> her death has been um, shit fraught. Was you she know? on the super religious side of things? Yeah, okay. yeah. She was on the super religious side of things, but she also did some things to me and to my brother that are shit could roll downhill from things she did. Yeah, sure. Uh, and it didn't, not for me anyway. Um, so I had very, I have very uh, specific feelings about her, uh, but. She was the youngest one in my mom's family of their siblings. And, you know, it it crushed my mom. And so my heart is hurting for my mom's heart hurting. And she had kids and a husband. And um, so it's been like challenging to try and compartmentalize my personal feelings about our relationships with her not being who she was to me to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's uh, wild to hear that that is the backdrop for the record because I still think the record's a party record. Man. But but I mean that was that was kind of the point though. It yeah. was yeah. if you if we have to rebuild the world, we don't get to source the materials. Like you got whatever the fuck is left after the apocalypse, mm-hmm. and you put together a, a hut to shield you from the elements. Right. It's got, I was like the recycling bin. It's whatever's there. Yeah. And 
also like I'm someone who doesn't like to like if the first record that I put out on Bandcamp, I think in 2013 or whatever, was called O. And that was by if you listen to that record, I mean, the mix is terrible and it's not even mastered. And I didn't know what I was doing in 2013. But if you listen to the record, it's like a pretty ambient record. Like it's a it's an instrumental synth ambient album. And that was my divorce album. Like, I did not want to make, like, a I hate bitches or, like, a... Right. a and we talked about this last time because how Serious Bismuth is also, like, a right. party album, sort of. Yeah. So, so that's I, how... So I should know when you're... When it's the party record, I should be reaching out and be like, hey, man, are you all right? Is yeah. everything going okay? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, I try and do... I, I try and take that, that energy and uh, distill it into something useful. One thing I did want to ask you, and I think it kind of relates to the precision of language stuff, but really what it is is putting things into boxes. And it comes from a place of me struggling to become a self-supporting independent artist, right? Where like, I'm making, like, I want to be full-time art. I want all my money to come from the work that I'm doing, right? And mm-hmm. and to that end, this year, 2022, I joined TikTok and I was like, let's see if this, uh, w- what we can do with this tool. I have a buddy who's done pretty well on it. And people talk about niches on there. And it's like, oh, there's book talk. There's producer talk. There's no, there's noise talk. Um, and then I'm looking at you. And I know you work a day job. I don't know what your relationship is to wanting or not wanting to be full-time art. But I know that all your records, the last two have, have hit me pretty hard. But they're wildly different from each other. The one is just walls of sound. And the other is like, uh, yeah, I've said it a million, well, enough times to you that it's party music. And so how do you feel about yeah, maybe it'll be an open-ended question. How do you feel about the idea of a niche, about the idea of having to define what you do for the creative part of it and having to define what you do for the business career part of it? And end question. I'm done. Question mark. Uh, um, I'm not someone... I've all, not always, like I started out as a rapper and I was, um, this sounds like hipstery to say, it's not even hipstery, it's just factually true. When I was, when I was rapping, uh, which was primarily in the late like when I was trying to do a career of it, late nineties, early, early aughts, I wasn't marketable because I wasn't talking about hood shit because that wasn't my story. Mm-hmm. So it was middle-class rap, um, which he who shall not be named made a billion dollars off of <laughs> now. Um, but when I was doing it, like there was not, it was like money at that. And so outside of that, the kind of art that I make, um, let me start all over. I, I, try, I try not to think of it is the answer. Okay. Because there's no relationship between hard work and success. No relationship? Not that I can tell. 
I mean, the people that are successful have worked hard, but many people that are successful haven't worked hard and many people that work hard aren't successful. Okay. So there's maybe a relationship, there's a correlation, but there's no causal link that you sure. can um, really draw a line between hard work uh, as, you know, I would argue based on my output that I'm the hardest working musician in music. And I am not even kind of successful. <laughs> like at all. Like I'm not a successful musician. Um, so. Meaning making money from it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, yes. That's what people define as successful. Yes. I mean, I, I mean, if we're talking about more, you know, I don't know, more flowery, gentle success. Yeah, I'm success because I've touched people's lives and blah, blah, blah. And I, but if we're, yeah, I don't make any money from my, I mean, I make a couple bucks. Like I make enough to, I basically fucking buy a pedal after band, like I get a thing after yeah. a nice band camp Friday. Um, sometimes I don't have enough, but I have enough to put down on a thing. That's what every band camp Friday, like all the money I've made for music, I've used to buy more gear. Um, so I'm definitely like not in the black on the money that I make for music. Like I'm right. super, I don't know that I'll ever break even, but it's not, I don't, I don't give a fuck about it. Like my, allegiance is to i i pledge fealty to the to the art like i make music like there's no way i don't think i would be as prolific as i was if i was trying to be successful if i was trying to make money from it like it's compulsory for me yeah and it's also now this has now become a part of my identity in a way that I hadn't really grappled with until this last reemergence of Bandcamp Friday. Like every time they say Bandcamp Friday is going on until this date and then it's be then it'll be over. I'm like, I'm sick of like it's work. Like it's not. Yeah. I I take a few days off after the first Bandcamp Friday of the month, mm -hmm. and then I have to go about the business of. Like the shit I do isn't just music. Like I got to come up with a, every album is a concept album. Right. So I have to create a world and then, a, and then create a, a written component and then create music that goes with it. Like it's a whole, I don't make a, a full length movie like every 22 days. Right. Essentially. Um, from start to, to premiere. Which is its own, now that I think about it, I mean, the music is wildly different, but the container for it, there are always in-depth liner notes. There is always a concept. You have the same font that your name is in, in the corner somewhere of every album. So there are niche, you, you know, there are similarity. There, you, you know, even if it's your own niche, there's something you're carving out. Yeah, it's what they, they call disgustingly a brand. Right. Yeah. You got a brand, man. I got a brand. And um yeah, I mean it it is, but like I am like in the conversations we've had, which have have been few, but like I'm a certain kind of motherfucker. Like I I am I am fully me. And my art is is fully me. So to that degree there's a brand i'm just doing like i'm not really i'm not creating a brand in so much as i'm trying to figure out what will land mm -hmm. like i make what i make and you could love it or lump it like there's there's some people like when i look at my analytics from bag camp mm -hmm. there's no right like i can't tell i can't make an album like I, as an example, I was surprised you bought Running in a Dream. Wait, Running in I, a Dream is the is the most. Well, it's not someone before Forensic Architecture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, why? 
because I thought you liked the dancier shit. And that's like running in a dream is the most uh, avant-garde release that I've ever done. Because it doesn't really have melody. Like I was like, let me make an album. Like I was trying to, I mean, it's in the liner notes, but I was really trying to capture what running in a dream is like. And that's something that I didn't even, I thought about putting this in the liner notes. Maybe I did. I don't, I can't even remember what I write or this <laughs> motherfucker, one of my songs in a mix the other day and tagged it on Instagram. And I didn't know what the song was. Like I looked, I have no idea what my song titles are. Cause I make too much fucking music. Yeah. I had to go look it up. I'm like, Oh, that's an interesting choice. Yeah. But they put avian vagrancy, which is on running in a dream in a mix I was like, huh, I wouldn't think anyone would put that in a in a mix. Yeah. But with running in a dream, I was trying to. Oh, this is my point. Like, I've never spoken to anyone else about what it's like to run in a dream. But I just knew that that was a shared thing. Like, I, 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 I knew it that I'm not the only one who had ever run in a dream and like you don't get anywhere it's like it makes you anxious you're trying to run but you can't move like i was like everybody that must be something for everybody and i wanted to make an album that had that like to get that feeling and i didn't think that was going that a bunch of people were going to resonate based upon my fans if you will and i don't even like calling them that people that listen to my music the most popular albums are the ones with the dance stuff. Sure. That's like, and I quote in, in the original, the first liner notes I ever wrote, or the, since I started these long liner note things, um, serious bismuth, I quoted uh, James Murphy, the LCD sound system who said, that's, what's great about dance music is like, if you're playing it, you can look and see if people, like, you know, if it's hitting or not immediately, like, you don't have to do a bunch of fucking market research. Yeah. I like, just make motherfuckers move or not. And like someone wrote me to do a show today and they were like, we were thinking you could do some of your dancier stuff. Like that's what, okay. Like I, I know, like if I was trying to sell, like I would only make dance albums. Right. Right. Um, But I, I decidedly made an album that doesn't really have any melody. Like it's just, the timbre changes, the texture changes. And that did pretty good. Um, so I don't fucking know. Right. And the first time we spoke, you told me, um, what the fuck is the name of that album? Nostalgia. Nostalgia. Yeah. You told me like that was one of your favorites. And I didn't think that that was going to, I thought Nostalgia was like a throwaway album. I was like, nobody's going to fucking be into this shit, but it's what I'm on. Yeah. And I made it and, yeah, so I don't have any. I just make the shit. That's really as as far as my connection with it goes. I make it and put it out, and then yes, but there are external inputs that are coming in. Like the F- Bandcamp Friday is not something you invented. You sure. could you and you could choose not to release something on Bandcamp Friday. So sure. where is the calculation coming in there? Um. Well. I mean the cal- the calculation in terms of Bandcamp Friday. I mean, yeah. If I'm being, hmm, how can I try to figure out? I haven't thought of it that way, but I guess that's part of my musical identity is that I put out an album every month, mm-hmm. and then so. Some of the people that buy my albums have written me and specifically said, I can't believe that you put out this amount of music looking forward to the next one. And so I would know, like I've put out enough music that in theory, if I don't put out a record next Bandcamp Friday, I have enough records that someone should go back to my catalog and buy a record that they haven't listened to or haven't heard. Like I've got plenty of data, but that's not what fucking happens on Bandcamp Friday. 90% of my sales that day are the album that I put out that day. 
Mm-hmm. Um, which speaks to like the attention span. But you're also right? training like, people to have that attention span. Right. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, you're right. Like, I am, I'm putting out a new thing on that day. But, like, I think um, I'm going to pronounce it wrong because I'm not a native or at all French speaker, even though I do a lot of stuff in French. But uh, L'Esprit d'Escalier, which is the album that has the ostrich on the cover. Uh huh. I think that is the best thing I've ever made. Um, although forensic architecture is pretty fucking good. Like I'm pretty proud of that one. That one is, it is pretty that was pretty good. Um, but you know, but I, I like all my work. We did talk the last time uh, that there was a, you hadn't even made that one uh, when, when we last talked. Which one? L'Esprit? Yeah. Yeah, I had. Yeah. Yeah. And I think was, I had some other favorite. I think yeah, it you was. Had, Pastiche Libra. Yeah, it was Pastiche Libra. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I loved that one. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, like, I think that I want to, like, this month, I'm like, am I really going to release another record next month? I don't, I don't really feel like it. I don't think I want to. But you said that, you said that before running into Dream 2. And I said on Instagram, I was like, I don't believe you. You need more people. Bro. I've never one of one of the uh, jokes that I've made in my relationships that always gets taken seriously. And I'm like, God damn, even when I say it's a fucking joke. Yeah. Is I refuse to be held responsible for the things that I say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I say that to people, they throw it back in my face like in an argument. Like you, I'm like, what the that was obviously a fuck god damn it. So I don't fucking like I say I will sit here and tell you now. Because, you know, two, you can hold two things in one hand. I do not want to put myself through the pressure of making an album. and, come, and Because now I've made it to where I can't even just make an album. I've got to create the world. I've got to do an entire movie. Yeah. I've, got to do a, I've got to do a franchise. I've got to create a world unto itself once a month. And I, that's not, I don't fucking do it, but. Well, it's so funny because the thing with this this idea of niche that I'm talking about is based on sweating. All these words are gross. I just want. I think brand is as gross as you do. So, so I'm about to say market forces, but just know I hate myself as I'm saying it. So, it's based on market forces. But what's funny is you've basically created a niche for yourself, and it's a very, it's you, yeah. But but completely. Outside of the, well, not completely, but sort of outside of the pressures of what people count as success. And yet you've still created some, you've boxed yourself in in some ways where, you know, what if you did want to release a non-concepty thing? What if you did want to release it on a Tuesday, you know? I also don't know. That's the other thing. Like, I don't want to, I think every album should be a concept album. And I thought that before I started releasing them. Okay. Like, because there's not a such thing to me. And like, um, my brother told me, so (sighs) there's a, um, in, in Eddie Murphy's Delirious, he has a bit at the end, or maybe it's not the end. It might be in Raw, too. I don't know which one it's in. I think it's in Raw, actually. Yeah, I think it's in Raw. He's talking about the flack he gets for making fun of Stevie Wonder doing his Stevie Wonder impression mm-hmm. and how Black people, like, Stevie Wonder's God, and he's like... So he's talking about driving in a car with Stevie Wonder, and the 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 premise of this joke is that Eddie Murphy can sing really, really well. Like, if you watch delirious part of it is part of eddie murphy's genius is his um impersonations like he's not known for his impersonations but when he does elvis when he does james brown when he does bill cosby uh uh, michael jackson like when he sings she's out of my life in delirious 
Like if you close your eyes, it's Michael Jackson singing. Right. When he sings, um, I did it my way, Elvis's version. Like he sounds like like Eddie Murphy's a fucking incredible singer. The music he's released as a singer is comical, but his singing chops, like he has a beautiful fucking voice. So when he's talking to Eddie, uh, Stevie Wonder, he's talking about driving in the car with Stevie. He's like, you know what, Stevie? I don't appreciate all the flack. I told you about how I feel about the singing. That shit don't impress me. You want to impress me? Take the wheel, motherfucker. And like, that's the joke. And from the time I heard that, when I was 10 or 11, whenever I old I was when Raw came out, that has been shorthand between me and my brother of like pushing the envelope is taking the wheel. Like, it's not impressive to me if you're not taking the wheel. And taking the wheel is a blind man driving a car. Like, that's impressive if you take the wheel and don't kill anybody. Like, that's what impresses me as a musician. So I am not impressed by a lot of shit that I hear, i.e. going back to Kanye. I'm not impressed by late registration when you have John Bryan at your disposal and you don't got to go to a day job. All you got to do is smoke the best possible weed and be with legitimate geniuses and do an album cycle of every couple of years. And this is what you gave me. I'm not fucking impressed by it. And my brother told me the other day, he was like, your bar is so high. You're you, you like nothing would impress you. Like even a blind man taking the wheel, like doesn't impress you anymore. And so to answer your question, I could make a not, it would take, there would be no effort on my part to make a non-concept album. Mm -hmm. I could go like I, and it sounds like conceited or arrogant, which a lot of people think I am. And this answers your other question about um, what about what part of my existence makes people feel not safe. Like where I work in corporate America, being a confident, over six foot, very well-dressed black man who's not constantly smiling is intimidating. Just my existence, because I'm not showing my teeth and going out of my way to make you feel not intimidated, that's intimidating. That's intimidating two people. Yeah. Um so like I make the amount of music that I make that I don't release. Like I saw an article the other day that said when Prince died, he had enough music in his vaults to release an album every year for a century. And I was like, that's it. <laughs> because to me Prince has been and obviously I'm not talking shit about Prince he's he's on my Mount Rushmore right. but Prince has been a professional musician since he was 17 years old and he died when he was like 56 or something like that in his, in his late 50s mm-hmm. um, that's a fuck ton of music but I'm just like, if I wanted to release an album that wasn't a concept album, I could just collect songs from off a hard drive and just put them out. Like I'm making, and and my cousin thought that about me too, which is weird. I asked my cousin, I asked my brother this too, and like neither of them did it after I asked him. But I was like, I put out an album every month, and you motherfuckers haven't supported. You haven't spent seven dollars once. Like you can't buy an album. Like it, it, the, the music doesn't stink. Like, I don't think it stinks. Yeah. Like, you can't support me. You can't buy one, not, a, not an album. Nobody in my family. I got one cousin, my cousin Lisa, who I'm not even particularly close to. She bought two of my albums. But outside of that, mother, father, brother, cousin, nobody has bought any of my shit. Yeah. And I asked them, and they were like, oh, my cousin was like, oh, I thought that was just shit from your archives. I didn't think you were putting out new work. I thought that's just from your archives. I know how much music you have. I was like, I don't see how that's an answer, but all right. And then he still like, hasn't done it. And my brother still hasn't done it. I'm like, all right, whatever. Kind of hurts, but whatever. 
But to, it would take no effort for me to put out an album that's not a concept album. Because I could just grab a bunch of songs and, and put them out. Um, I'm trying to connect. Um, I'm trying to tell a story. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've created pressure for myself by, by doing things the way I, I've done it. But, and you know what? You know, now a lot of times when I'm in therapy, I'll talk myself into an answer that I like wasn't thinking about. Um, and this happened just now. I think when I was creating my brand, it was in an effort to create a niche, actually. Like writing the liner notes for every album, obviously the font that I use, the album covers that I create, the little campaign I do exactly three days before the album drops of two new albums Friday and one new album tomorrow. I always do it the same way. I always use an emoji on either side of new album Friday in all capital letters. I use the same hashtags. Um, I hadn't really thought about it until you asked me, but yeah, I'm doing a thing to create. I'm trying to stand out in a world where it's very difficult to stand out. And so the way I chose to do that was to try and communicate who I am to people um, in the way that I communicate, I guess. I don't know. Well, and this is kind of opening some things up for me now, because when people talk about, to be honest, I like making little videos on TikTok, but holy fuck, is it rough to just scroll past people trying to cram everything into three seconds. And especially, I I see a lot of music stuff. So it's people going, want to get your music in front of blah, 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 blah. And it's always niche is talked about so cynically and so so functionally in a way that turns me off but the way you're talking about it you've aimed for and created a niche because the thing that we're calling a niche is what you value in music and art and is is the lane that you wanted to make and so if there's something you, or in this case, me, I want to do that, that can be as curated and expressive of my own tastes, if people call that a niche, that's fine. It, it, it reframes the, the creation of identity as more positive than single. Yeah, it's, a, it's internal. It's internal pressure. Like, I don't feel market like that. I don't have a market. Yeah. Um, so I create pressure. But even, even before I started doing this thing, like I was, t- I, and I've said this so many times, my, my, my brother is my, not now at all, but my worldview was fathered by my brother. Like my brother, I got from my brother some things, and we disagree on most things now, but the way I approach existence was curated, was created by my older brother. And one of the things that is so like essential to who I am on a really fundamental level is not being like other people is being like myself. Um, like another tattoo I had covered up. I, I grew up in, in California in the eighties, which was the height of gang warfare. And like, I lived in Pasadena, but Pasadena was in the infancy of its gentrification. And we lived in like a nice part, but it was very unique at the time, I guess, there was no 
transition into, into the hood of Pasadena. It was really nice shit, hood. Like literally next street was like projects and then super nice shit. We lived in the super nice shit part and then hood. And so the dudes that my brother hung out with were all kind of the ones that came around me were in this weird liminal hood and not hood space. And they invent, or my brother invented something called Pasadena protocol. And that might as well be tattooed on my brain, the degree to which I hold it dear to the consternation of most people that know me, which is when I grew up, if somebody, if you wore the same sneakers somebody wore, that was grounds for fisticuffs. Like if you're, you're, you're biting, like biting in it. And again, I'm from the eighties biting in hip hop was a capital offense. Like biting someone's style was the worst thing you could do, especially as a dude. If you was a dude trying to be like another dude, like that was so fucking problematic. And it's the exact opposite today. Musically, culturally, like they have something called type beats. Yeah. You know what type beats are? Yeah, where it's, you're just, you know, you get what Playboy Cardi or something and it's like, you type it into YouTube and it's just all the beats of that sound like the shit that Playboy Cardi raps over. Right. And this is a something that producers aspire to. I make Drake type beats. I make what? Yeah. Like you're like you've made a cottage industry out of biting someone else's style. I didn't realize that was an aspect. I thought that was that sounded I always thought that sounded more like a mercenary thing, but that is no, this sick. is what producers aspire to make Pierre, like Cardi's producers, uh, or his main producer was called, is called Pierre. Pierre Bourne. Um, Pierre Bourne. Yeah. And people like aspire, like they try, like the, 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 the ubiquity of, of um, auto-tune. That was the beginning of my, of the end for me and Kanye. Like mm-hmm. when he jumped on that, I'm like, what? You're doing the most popular thing that there, like you're jumping on the bandwagon of the most popular thing that there is. You're supposed to be a maverick. You're supposed to be pushing boundaries. Like I, like that, like nauseated. Like I, I lost all the respect that was in the process of deteriorating for him based upon shit he would say or do. Like jumping on stage and grabbing, like all of his antics as a musician. I was like, you fuck, you suck. Like I, I, I don't respect him as a musician anymore Mm -hmm. because I have shelved entire albums because someone said, Oh, this reminds me of so-and-so. I was like, well, no one will ever hear it now. Like if, if what I'm doing reminds you of something, it's, it's trash. Like I don't. So yeah, that part of me, if it was creating a niche, that's just like outside of music. I'm a, sneakerhead if i see somebody with my sneakers on i inside of my body I, I feel some type of way yeah like i feel i really i just there's, there's people at work that there are other sneakerheads at work and and they'll ask me or even about my clothes like i'm 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 known for my outfits and people are like, where do you get that? I'm like, why do you want to know? I've never said that to someone in my life. I've never said, where did you get the thing that you have? I don't want to know. I don't want to have what you have. And when people ask me that, I'm like, why you? Ugh. When people, I, I, the job I have, I work in retail. And customers will say to me, what do most people do? What, what, do, what, what case do most people buy? Mm. And I want to cuss at them. I really like viscerally like want to like spit at the ground 
why do you want to know what most people do? That's what you, you're telling me out loud that you want to follow. I can't, that is anathema to me fundamentally. So like what I guess is creating a niche is just me being like, I got to do what I'm doing and what other people aren't, aren't doing. Okay, that's that's kind of one of the things I wanted to talk about when I thought we were going to talk about a bunch of afterlife shit, um, which is an interesting segue. Um, I think the belief in the afterlife comes from man's, human's inability to intuit certain things because of our size and how long we stay alive. So because of the size we are and the length of life that humans have, we intuit certain things as the truth because they make sense in terms of the size of our bodies and how long our bodies stay alive. Okay. Wh- so, what do you mean? Okay. So like people that are creationists, for example, mm-hmm. evolution does not make sense to them because they can't process a billion years. Sure, 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 sure. Because we stay alive for about 70 and they're like, I can't, it doesn't fucking, uh, I, I can't, we talk about that. It's, it's, it's the... A use size, for example, we cannot intuit the size of the universe. Mm-hmm. Like it's, we can't. Like this, like which is reasons why we think the Empire State Building is tall. Right, right. Or we think a hundred years is a long time. It's not a long time. Like people think. Uh, here's an example: the slavery. People think that was so, it was two lifetimes ago. Mm -hmm. There are people that are alive now that were born into slavery. But we, but two life, adding one lifetime to your own lifetime, you're like, I can't fucking, that's too, I can't, I can't really, like, how old are you? 37. Okay. I'm, I'm going to be 44 this year. Yeah. If I live, to be 88, that will be a full another entire time I've been alive. Right. It'll be a full lifetime. I can say that, but I can't, I can't pro- like that's why when you that's why when we see old people, you're like, damn, how the fuck did you get old? Like we we know <laughs> that they were once our age, but you see them, you're like, I'm not gonna be. Yeah. Time is slow. Like I've been. But you're gonna wake up and be 90 if you get to be 90, and but well, we can't fucking intuit shit, which gets into like the after like people that think about the afterlife or they can't grasp the notion that this is this is it. There's got like I gotta I I my ego, which is why like ego death is so important for people that do psilocybin. Like if you've gone through ego death it makes you a different kind of motherfucker than somebody that hasn't gone through ego death and has just done acid tabs or whatever for visuals. Like we're in different categories. Like when you're, I've been through ego death and when you go through ego death, you're like, Oh, I, I am not. I, but most people never have gone through or think about that. They're not, the, the 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 vessel that is in between their temples mm-hmm. and so they can't process like i tell people that what's going to happen after you die is the same thing that happened before you were alive you're going to be not but because you've never thought about being not you can't process being not again you were already not before you were alive mm-hmm 
Mm-hmm. You went through all existence and time not existing, which is, you know, contradictory, but yeah. you didn't exist and you did, you weren't worried about not existing. You just didn't exist. And you're going to go back to not existing, which is what I think will happen. But people are like, not, well, there's no way I can, I, I exist. There's no way. I, there's got to be another place where I get to exist some more. But that's only because you can't imagine not existing. Creatures that we think that we would call dumb, animals, as far as we know, don't experience that. So their lives are not lives of, that's not a concern. Their concern is staying the fuck alive. Yeah. Right. And that's part of, like, I, the therapy I go through is called somatic experiencing. And somatic experiencing is based on the notion that the guy who invented it came up with and it holds water. I don't, I'm less sold on the therapeutic aspects of it, but the basis of it makes a ton of sense to me. The basis of it is humans have to override their fight or flight response. Hmm. And because animals never have, animals never override it. They it's, it's always going down. So a deer uh, Impala is always like it's fucking going down at any second. Right, right. And they fight or fucking fly. So to our knowledge, they don't suffer depression. Captive animals suffer depression. But deer are just like, I'm alive and I got to figure out how to stay fucking alive. Mm-hmm. And because we get in fight or flight situations in the workplace and our relationships, and we don't fight or fly. We just have this crazy feeling inside of us. We're just, oh, I got to fucking, I still got to go to work tomorrow. Right. And that can be anything from sexual abuse as a child to getting in a fist fight as a grown man. All those things, we got to like just turn it off. We still got to go to fucking work tomorrow and smile and pay your rent. So all of that shit causes all of these um, physical representations of trauma which can be gastrointestinal issues. It could be erectile dysfunction. It could be all these things that come from us having to like keep on a good face to be a society. Mm -hmm. And that like, um, yeah, that causes, that causes all types of, of, of shit that's as unnatural as society. And we just make it, we normalize it because what are the options? You don't think it's possible to get rid of those things? And and to quote Kanye West, how, Sway? How? What are the mechanisms? Like, I don't think it's, I think it's impossible. Well, you know, this is why I put in, in forensic architecture, I talk about blissful nihilism. Like any anything you name that's a problem, how are we gonna fix it? For real. How are we gonna dismantle the patriarchy? How are we gonna end misogyny? How are we gonna end racism? How? Andrew Van Weigarten from MGMT, who I've, I think I quoted him on one of my album liner notes, mm-hmm. he says in a song, if you're conscious, you must be depressed or at least cynical. How could you not be depressed unless you're unless you're have blinders? Like depression is a function of empathy. How could you not be depressed if you care about your fellow man or woman or your own life? The amount of sadness that's within my own life, with my nuclear family and my extended family, never mind what's going on in the world. How are you people? not fucking depressed i don't believe people are, are if you're depressed and you don't give a fuck about other people and you got it going on and good great for you like i don't think i don't think uh, donald trump I, I named donald trump like his if he's depressed it's a function of his narcissism it's not a function of his empathy for others right but even then like you can't you can't separate wetness from water. Depression 
being alive is so fucking absurd. Being being alive as a human, there's no, and you know, this is the thing I tell my therapist, I I tell everybody, when you sit back and zoom out, And you can go from your existence as as Dave, you can remove it a single, we're going to call it degree. Remove it a single degree. Your existence as Dave is not what your girl experiences. Right. You as a partner to her, like, it's a total, to the point that when you take a selfie and you and you see your face the way other people see it, it seems wrong because you've only ever seen your face in a mirror image. Mm-hmm. We can't even grasp seeing our face not in a mirror's image. You're like, that looks fucking ridiculous. I got to reverse the picture or take another picture. That is the that is the degree to which we cannot process shit outside of our own experience as truth. And because we can't do that, when you, if you're someone who takes time like I do to fucking like zoom out and see the amount of moving parts in existence. Have you ever, did you see Dr. Strange? Oh, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I'm not a big superhero movie guy, but I actually really liked that one. Yeah. Neither am I. But I saw that one in 3D. I was high as shit. And I saw that shit in 3D. Yeah, yeah. Remember that part where I think it's like, yes, it's like a Tesseract thing comes and it's fucking like every different part is moving. Yes, 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 yes. Seeing that shit in 3D high was like, that shit was extra dope. But yeah. <laughs> even that, right? That is only a minuscule fraction of, of the amount of moving parts in being a human being. Like every fucking thing is moving. Everything that happened to you in your life, everything that happened to your parents in their life, which they put on you, every experience you've had, every experience everyone around you has ever had, the trauma that they have, war, famine, if you're full or not, if you have IBS, if you have to take a pit, every single fucking thing the cancer that's inside my body already that hasn't exposed itself to tests yet. Every fucking thing is moving. And it has been moving with human beings, this, this iteration's homo sapiens, for 300,000, give or take, years. Mm-hmm. Moving, moving, moving. And we think that a motherfucker that wrote a self-help book solved it? Oh, this is all you got to do. It's the secret. You just have to vision shit positively and then it'll all work out. Get the fuck out. There's no answer to this shit. It's absurd. It's absolutely fucking absurd. And yet change does happen sometimes. Of course it does. I'm see, that's why that's why I call it blissful nihilism. Right. It's not, I'm not despondent. Right. But you, there's no answer to this shit. There, like, there's no magic bullet. They would have found it by now. There's a new self-help book every year. There's a new theory of how to therapize individuals. Like, therapists have to do CE, continuing education. you got to keep up on the newest techniques of what to say to people. There's a diagnostic statistical manual. They're on what five now? There'll be right. a sixth. Yeah. There'll be a seven. They'll, they haven't. You can't figure out all the ways motherfuckers could be. They'll come out with some new shit, and they'll come out with some new shit. They'll come out with some new shit because they'll keep making people. But it doesn't mean right. And I think the blissful part, if I'm, if I'm, I mean, I'm interpreting for myself. Tell me if I'm getting your perspective right. Is that it's obviously okay to keep trying to figure it out. Well, that's all we got. Like you gotta, right. you, you gotta try. But what my problem with, I guess, religion 
or religious thinking, which doesn't necessarily have to have a deity involved, mm-hmm. um, is that there's a there's a there's a guy there's an answer there's a guide. Follow these. It's like the shit you always see on the internet. This one simple trick will have blah 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 happen. Right. No. Yeah. There's no one simple trick to anything. Like it's a like people like if you hear me if you listen to me run my mouth as you have been. <laughs> it will lead people to believe that I believe that I've got it figured out. All I have figured out is that it can't be figured out. But maybe you're even wrong about that. Maybe it can be figured out. I don't think it can be figured out. Not by, by That's why I keep recording the podcast. Give me an answer. Every, every guest is my daddy. I'm looking for the, the, the final answer. And, uh, to be permanently comforted existentially. And I think it's reasonable. And I don't think that's uh, wrong of me, even one tiny bit. I, I fully agree with you um, because it'll allow you to keep trying to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you've made a, you, you and I have made our own um, Linus blankets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. That's all. It, it, that's what all these motherfuckers are trying to do is make Linus blankets. And some people try and use money. Some people try and use sex. Some people use art. But everybody's just trying to fucking feel secure and okay about this shit. Um, yeah, that's all you're trying to do. That is the show. Thank you so much for listening to This Is Your Afterlife. Please find out more information and listen to the music of We On We at the link in the show notes. Follow me at the links in the show notes. And if you want more of this conversation and all of the full conversations of this podcast, go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr and you can sign up for $5 or $15. And speaking of those $15 patrons, I didn't forget about you. Those pigeon-level patrons are Fred Fidoa, Susie Carroll, Katie Llewellyn, and Kurt Chang. Thanks to them. Thanks to you. And until next week, remember, you are a mist. They do miracles.